0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Scott.
2: Hi, I'm Jenny.
1: Hi, I'm Tomahome.
2: And I'm Paul. And today we're talking about recent arrivals and new releases with a cast of hundreds and so we will try very hard not to <laughs> talk on top of each other.
1: Hey! What's up first?
2: All well, right. I have a random, random, um, I guess, e-comic Ooh. to talk about. Um, The Boz Chronicles by David, let's say Michelini, Michael Linney. not really sure, and Brett Blevins. Oops. Um.
1: Dover Publications. I've seen them uh, all over Twitter.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't actually come out until the end of September, but they contacted us to see if we'd want to review a copy. Um, It's just the first single-volume collection of the six-part Epic Comics cult favorite, Iron Man. I'll say it in English. Uh Oh, no. Michelinny who has done The Iron Man, and Blevins, who has done The New Mutants, oh. daring graphic novel yeah. follows the adventures of a suicidal alien, a plucky prostitute, and a raucous American cowboy who teamed to form a detective agency that accepts oddball cases rejected by Scotland Yard. Okay. It's a little bit of everything. Um,
1: I think I remember Brett Blevins on The New Mutants as the artist. If I'm... Maybe I'm wrong. Um, in any case, that early run of New Mutants was really good. Hmm. Um, it actually did a lot of the sort of the fun, uh, uh, X-Men stuff. So, you know, the young X-Men from the X-Men movies, that sort of stolen from the New Mutants, um, early run. Cause it's like hanging out, uh, in Professor X's, you know, classroom and then, or school and then they'd have like Wolverine come in for, a lecture or something. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, very, very fun reading. So this might be all right. Um, but David I'm Michelin- not a digital guy. Is this only? Is this digital only? I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't. I don't really like reading comics on the iPad.
3: David Michelin- yeah, he's like sometimes- old. He's like old school artist from Marvel. If you, if you ever saw seen that Iron Man where he's uh, alcoholic. I think
4: he uh <laughs> Demon A Glass
3: model. Yeah. Hmm. Might have just been the Inker, but I think he was involved with that.
1: Oh. I uh I think we should move on. Okay. Aurora. This is in our science mm. fiction category. And I'm very excited about this one. Space. Um although, Yeah, Space. I'm not so excited about the length, but I Kim Stanley Robinson seems to be able to get away with big books these days
3: it's only 16 hours
1: yeah yeah i yeah it's not horribly long but it's pretty darn long um but i heard him on that uh guardian podcast talking uh, doing an excerpt from the book and talking about how uh how he got the idea for this and it sounds really good um i think i'd be up for doing a read-along on this i think
0: oh that's cool it's yeah, funny. So, I mean, the, the whole description that they do, it just says a major new novel from one of Science Fiction's yeah, Really, And I just yeah. looked on Goodreads, and that's what it says, too. The, the whole description is Aurora tells the incredible story of our first
1: voyage beyond the solar system.
4: Yeah, it, it's it's, it's pretty, a generationship story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's not the entire story. It's it's like they're almost there, right? They've been going begins. It begins, the, it begins years. with
0: them almost there,
1: right? Yeah. 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 And then they have to uh, deal with it. And one of the things that he was saying in that Guardian uh, podcast that I thought was really interesting, he was saying um, that if you were in a survival situation of that kind, you would there would be sort of a tyranny of not of um, of like a government, but a tyranny of circumstances, uh, so that people will have to be special, you know, have to be working really hard to s- stay alive, um, and really hard to learn how to do the skills that they need to survive, even if they don't want to. Um, so in our society, if you just want to be a janitor, right, it's no problem because, uh, you know, there's lots of people who are willing to do the other jobs, right? We, we have a sort of voluntary free society, but, um, in that society, Everybody has to be the janitor, but everybody also has to be the, the engineer and, and have medical skills. And, um, so it's, uh, it sounds like, um, it's a sort of a different, sort of bigger take on, uh, the cold equations to me, which I think is a badly told, but very important story. And I mm, think interesting. that'd be really good, uh, because, you know, when you read Kim Stanley Robinson, he researches the hell out of everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing that's bullshit at all. And I love n- not bullshit. It's <laughs> my favorite he, thing.
3: He was on the Coot Street podcast too. He talked about how, um, like, like bacteria evolve faster than humans do. So that becomes a problem mm-hmm. in a sealed environment.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And, and uh, he thought Interstellar was a stupid movie. So this is probably like his answer to it. Hmm. I mean, he really thinks we should take care of the Earth more than anything else. Well, so I'm not sure where, how this, where this book is going.
4: Well, he's also written stuff like 2312. I mean, those are not yeah. incompatible goals. Mm-hmm. Take care of the Earth and see the solar system and beyond.
1: Yeah, so it's not a solution for humans to, to leave the planet, right? That's uh, He said some really interesting things in that. Um, and maybe it means it has a really dark ending. Ooh. Uh, but, uh, Spoiler. in that, in that podcast, um, he, he was saying, you know, this is, it's ultimately, uh, you know, the idea that we can spread out and cover the whole universe is, is, it, it's like a, a fake goal in that it's not really going to solve our ultimate destiny. Even if we as individuals die, yes, we think, oh, the species will continue. No, the species will end too. The universe is gonna end. So he he, he was yeah, he was really uh, interestingly depressing. I love that stuff. <laughs> cool. I'm looking forward to this book.
0: Me too. I've got a copy of it already.
1: I I don't know about the narrator. I've never heard of. Uh,
0: yeah, the, I I've just got the hard copy, but yeah, I haven't heard of this narrator either. Ali, Ali on.
1: Ali, Ali on. on. Mm. From uh, the publishers Hachette. Book yeah, group. I'm looking forward to. Uh, and look in the reviews of the narrator and see. It should be fine. I mean, they w- they'll they get somebody good for Kim Stanley Robinson. He's Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, next up, this is Paul. This is me. Paul Paul.
4: Yep. City of the Chash, the first Chasai novel of the Plan of Adventure by Jack Vance. Um, narrated by Elijah Alexander, 6 hours 19 minutes from Blackstone Audio. I'll I'll read the text here. When someone sent distress signals to outer space on the planet Shai, it was Adam Reep's misfortune to be sent from Earth to investigate. Because when his ship came too close to Shy, it was torpedoed, and Adam escaped to the surface with his life and nothing else. Um, the there are five novels in the Planet Shai series. I've seen two of them already up on Audible. I read these when I was uh, ten. They're, 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 really, they're really old Jack Benson. Five novels, Adam Reith winds up crash landing on this alien planet, and he learns that there are aliens on this planet that have been running around for thousands of years, and they have humans. So, clearly, they know about Earth. They've been to Earth way in the past, brought humans there. So, they are a problem, and Adam Reith's gotta get off the planet to go tell Warren Earth about all these aliens running on who have been meddling with Earth in the past. And so, the five novels basically chronicle his adventures across the planet to try to escape. This is classic science fiction. It's got Jack all, all the stuff you love in Jack Vance. Interesting language, strange customs, weird mm-hmm. aliens. They're, they're really, really fun books. I reread, uh, they collected them as an anthology some years back. I reread that and it held up for me. So I, I would be up for listening to this and doing a read-along.
1: Sounds good. The narrator, again, somebody I've not heard of, Elijah Alexander. Yeah. Um, but it, barring, you know, a terrible narration, this sounds like a, a great book. It's from Blackstone. They don't put out junk usually. They don't. So, um, and Jack Vance, yeah, I've not read any of his long stuff, but his short stories are, are chock full of, uh, weird culture and good writing and sort of a hard, hard attitude, but fun. Yep. Um, he he likes to put his characters through a lot of trouble.
4: Hey oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Poor 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 Adam spends five b- books trying to get off this planet. He finally gets off in the fifth one. Spoiler, but yeah, it's it's a <laughs> long hard slog to get there, and he has lots hmm.
1: of adventures along the way. Sounds good. Yeah, a uh, planet of adventures, right in the title, right?
4: Yep. Is, is he funny? It, 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 you, they, 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 there's some really dark humor in the in the book too. Yeah, it's 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 not a light comedy of madness, but yeah, the, the, a, 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 Adam. The, the, the situations Adam winds up in can sometimes be humorous, yeah.
2: I don't want to spoil.
1: Jenny, uh, you did a show on the next one?
2: Um, Well, I'll explain it a little bit. This one is Archangel by Marguerite Reed, read by Dina Perlman. It's book one of the Chronicles of Eubastis. So this comes from Resurrection House. I mean, it's recorded through Audible Studios, but back on episode 21 of my personal podcast reading envy. Uh I interviewed Darren Bradley who's an author but also an editor for Resurrection House and he was super excited about this book. So it gets mentioned way back hmm. then. Yeah. That was before it came out. And so then when it came out, um they sent us two review copies so both Kristen and I Turp Kristen and I have review copies.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, so I'll just read the description. The earth is dying and our hopes are pinned on Eubastus, an untamed paradise at the edge of colonized space. But such an influx of people threatens the planet's unstudied ecosystem. A tenuous research colony must complete its analysis, lest humanity abandon one planet only to die on another. The Ubasti colonists barely get by on their own. To acquire the tools they need, they are relegated to selling whatever they can to outside investors. For xenobiologist Vashti Lauren, this means bringing off worlders on safari to hunt the specimens she and her fellow biologists so desperately need to study. Haunted by the violent death of her husband, the heroic and celebrated Lasse Unset, Vashti must balance the needs of Ubastis against the swelling crush of settlers. Bashi struggles in her role as one of the few colonists licensed to carry deadly weapons, just as she struggles with her history of using them. And when she discovers a genetically engineered soldier smuggled onto the surface, Bashi must face the nightmare of her husband's murder all over again. Um, so I guess what it doesn't really say, well, it does say the earth is dying, but part of it is that it's being overrun by these genetically engineered soldiers, and they're referred to as beasts. Hmm. On there, so uh, it's interesting. I don't usually read military science fiction, so <laughs> yeah, it's either a series or a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it sounds a bit like uh, some Philip K- Philip K. Dick's got a, a few s- stories where he, he's you know lands some astronauts on a planet, and then they they say, "Well, is it going to be suitable for us Earth colonists?" and Oftentimes, uh, no is the answer, but sometimes, uh, the answer is no, uh, in a different way. And, uh, it's, it's interesting because you've got an untamed paradise, right? It sounds like a, you know, jungle planet or something like that. Um, and the idea of, you know, transferring humans to another colony. It doesn't really say that it's a planet though, does it? (laughs) Right? In the
2: well, it says it's at the edge the, of colonized space. Yeah,
1: I assume that it's a planet. Yeah, um, it says it's a planet. <laughs> wait, well, in the next sentence, does it?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, okay, the it. planets. Yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong.
2: So it has that that typical kind of thing, right? That's a pretty known storyline. But I think what's different is that the character, you know, instead of being like. Um, a solo female avenging something, you know, she's a mother and it kind of turns everything on its head a little bit Mm -hmm. because she's grieving her husband who was a great soldier himself, a great leader. Um, he's kind of idolized by everyone on the planet and she has this little tiny child. I don't know. It, It makes it feel different. Like the, the focus of the book is different.
1: You're into it already, I assume.
2: Oh, I've I finished it, yeah.
1: Oh, okay, good. Oh, also, you of, liked it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I can tell how it's different while also being, you know, kind of hearkening back to some of this older stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to combine Terp Kristen and my review together. <laughs> we'll see if that'll work. Oh, I don't boy.
3: Know. <laughs> and she liked it, too.
2: Yeah, and she goes into much greater detail. I mean, always. She's such a great reviewer.
1: She's she's big on cats in her Twitter feed. <laughs> or her cat. <laughs> her cat.
3: <laughs> it kind of sounds like Octavia Butler, is what I was thinking. Huh.
2: A like, like, little bit. Like a I trilogy haven't read uh, Octavia Butler in space, so I don't know.
3: Well, it, well, it's Earth, but then the aliens come to Earth, and they kind of mate with the humans, so oh, the whole okay. family.
2: I've kind only read the that. parable, the parable novels of hers.
1: Okay. So who who put a Star Wars book on the list is my question. There's
2: always a Star Wars book on the list.
1: May the force be with you.
2: They come out Scott, with one like. Scott, every month.
1: are you? Are you uh, responsible for this?
0: I am not. I am not. Um, you know, I, listen, know, I listen. I listen to one now and then. I'm, I was curious. You know, I was. I was, I was saw this on here. If uh, you know, I I had read about two years ago. When, you know, Disney bought everything that they sort of wiped the slate clean and were starting over and trying to make a coherent story, you know, between all media. But I, I don't know, looking at this, I'm not sure if it fits or not, but it's called Dark Disciple Star Wars by Christy Golden, read by Mark Thompson, who is excellent with mm-hmm. these books. And um it says the latest story never told in the Clone Wars television saga. A tale of trust, betrayal, love, and evil starring the hugely popular ex-Sith, never-Jedi, female bounty hunter, Asajj Ventress. A tale written but never aired, now turned into a brand new audiobook with the creative collaboration of the Lucasfilm Story Group. And etc. Mm. So,
1: I don't know. Could be fun. It sounds like it's a prequel uh, to the original movies. So, Clone Wars is is way before, right? Yeah. Uh, regular and so the, really clones, the
0: clone wars is before <laughs> isn't it between 1977 star wars between star wars yeah between episode two, three and four i think two and three two and
1: three the regular star wars we're not going to see uh han solo and no no this is before them yeah right interesting I wonder
3: if it has sound effects
0: I'm like,
1: yeah. sure. <laughs> do they still do that?
0: Yeah, they do. In, in these audiobooks, you know, there's, uh, you know, some music. Uh, it's the, the last one I listened to, you know,
1: didn't have it throughout,
0: you know, hmm. like their uh, abridged ones did, but.
1: I think you should talk about the next one too, Scott, because.
0: Uh... Yeah, this one is one, uh, it, it looks. I really like these. Um, Collections from InfiniVox, uh, the year's top 10 tales of science fiction. And this is the seventh one. Wow. So it's a it's a best of collection for audio. Um, and then and he's, it's he's edited it by uh,
1: a guy who's who picks. These are his picks, right? They're right. not, mm-hmm. um, you know, from some poll or anything. So it, if you like his his uh, he's sort of hard and hard ish SF. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, would I say Yeah. You bet. There's
0: almost
1: um, a Robert Reed in there, and there is this here. Alistair Reynolds, Peter Watts, hey. Yeah, The uh, Colonel Elizabeth by Peter Watts. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then uh, Michael Swanwick, Alistair Reynolds, Robert Reed, Gareth L. Powell, Ellen Clagis? Kle- Kle- Clagis? Clagis. Clagis, thank you. Uh, Timones Isaias, Tom Crosshill, Elizabeth Bear, and Nina Allen. Mm. So that's a. I would definitely listen to that. So lucky, uh, lucky Brian A. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Read is that by Brian Tom Deer and, no. excuse me? Is that Brian Alexander? It's this, this is a Jenny question. Should be. Yep. yep. Oh. Cool.
0: <laughs> so read by Tom Deer and Nancy Linari, who read them every year and, uh, they do a really good job. So hope it's good. Mm-hmm. Certainly to the tweet. That, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's hard to review, uh, a collection of short stories without writing like a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really really difficult to write. Right. Uh right. The Flickerman by Ted Kozmatka. Yeah. yeah. Keith Zargebag. <laughs> Zarchka. <laughs> <Zarka. laughs>
0: He's excellent. He's a really good narrator. Um okay. com- comes out from Blackstone Audio. This one caught my eye. I have not read it. Um, Ted Kuzmatka, I've read some short fiction by him. Um, But the, the description, it's called The Flicker Man. The description, a quantum physicist shocks the world with a startling experiment, igniting a struggle between science and theology, free will and fate, and antagonizing forces not known to exist. Eric Argus is a washout. His prodigious early work clouded his reputation and strained his sanity. But an old friend gives him another chance, an opportunity to step back into the light. Mm. So I it saw a review of this book about, somewhere right? that made me made me interested in it. I would like to. Yeah, it sounds good. And
1: it's good length. Yep.
4: Um, what did you say, Paul? Sound- it doesn't quite tell me what the really book's really about. It's like, okay, it's early work into what? Clouded reputation, strange is sanity? Is this is this K- cracking, Cthulian? Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know I, my my impression of it is sort of a I don't know there's a kind of a tradition I guess maybe you know from the gods themselves forward you know these, these stories that take place in labs you know there's scientists in labs and um, mm-hmm. you know uh, Robert J. Sawyer has written some like this uh, that if there's a subgenre I guess that's kind of what it is in my, you yes. know, my impression of it. Yeah, well, I like that.
3: To a step back into the light. So I think it's poltergeist. Yeah,
1: well, uh, science, fi- science fiction, science uh, fiction, having the 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 best kind of sort of science fiction of this kind is the science fiction is science fiction because the main character is a scientist. They've done mm-hmm. some science, right? And then some, some weird consequence happens, right? Of right. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah I right, can see. Forward, flash flash forward.
0: Yeah. Remember Flash Forward by Robert yeah. J. Sawyer? Yeah. Uh, it didn't
1: come true because the God Particle didn't make everybody have a Flash Forward, right? When right. they discovered it. But still a good book. Yeah,
0: it is a good book. That is a good one.
1: So, yeah, so it isn't just yeah. got my interest. sounds eh? like it needs a sequel. It sounds like you're going to learn something in the book. I hope so, yeah.
0: Could be interesting. And then the next one I threw on here was um, a a throwback. I think this book is from 1969. Just came out on audio, read by Stefan Rudnicki, Stefan the Great Rudnicki, Um, written by Robert Silverberg. It's called Thorns. And I have not read this book, um, but here's the description. Duncan Chalk is a monstrous media mogul with a vast appetite for other people's pain. He feeds off it and carefully nurtures it in order to feed it to the public. It is inevitable that Chalk should hone in on Miner Burris, a space traveler whose body was taken apart by alien surgeons and then put back together again differently. (laughs) Burris's pain is constant. And so is that of Lana Kelvin, used by scientists to supply eggs for 100 children and then ruthlessly discarded. Sounds kind of rough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Silverberg likes torturing his characters, too. (laughs) <laughs> and it's right in the title, thorns, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the publisher is Skyboat Media. Um, yeah. So this is neat, but because it's Robert oh, Silverberg, it caught my eye. That's interesting.
1: Like, yep. Yeah. I didn't know Skyboat was doing their own releases. Uh, I guess they can if they're doing it through Audible, but um, uh, they're so associated with uh, Blackstone.
0: Yeah, I think I think Skyboat started doing some of their own stuff uh, yeah. not that long ago, but. Oh. Um, yeah,
1: Silverberg's I, got a great back catalog. So I,
4: I pulled it up on I pulled it up on Wikipedia. Um, 1967 Nebula and Hugo Awards nominee. Um, Brian Sableford called Thorns a stylized novel of alienation and psychic vampirism, saying nice. that with Hawks together with Hawksville Station, it marked a new phase of Robert Silverberg's career in which he brought the full range of his artistic abilities to bear on writing SF. Yeah,
1: I, I I've read
4: Hawksbill Hulk. Station, but I haven't read Lawrence.
1: Hmm. So now next up is a sequel. Who likes sequels? By Stephen Baxter, though I guess that's that's a a deal. Right. Hopefully Tam will take well, this. One. I, I read
3: the first book. Yeah. So I guess I'll read the description.
1: Cool. It's called Ultima.
3: Ultima Book Two, Proxima Book Two by Stephen Baxter. So this is kind of a return to his science fiction. He hasn't really been doing it lately. Um, on the planet of Per Adjua, alien artifacts were discovered. Hatches that allowed humans to step across light years of space. Oh, this, this totally spoils the first book.
1: Anyway. Whoops. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, skip. About the first book, if you've read it. What? Why don't you just tell us what the first book's about?
3: Well, I mean, th- this is what the first book's about. They. The, um, okay, so um, I forget where par, par, Ardua is. I think it's like the, the nearest star with a habitable Earth-like planet.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um,
4: is, it, is it Proxima Centauri?
3: Yeah, maybe. That sounds right. Yeah, I well, mean, I, uh, can you,
4: I can
1: tell you what the title means, or the name of the planet means. So it's it's usually attached to the phrase ad astra, right? Per ardua ad astra, through adversity to the stars, or through struggle through the stars. And ardua like gives us the word arduous, so through difficulty. So I assume there's quite a rigmarole going on in the
4: first book. Is that
1: correct? <laughs> there's a lot of work. This planet.
4: Yep. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. They... I, I... Go ahead. Yeah,
3: I mean they they have to um, terraform it and everything. I actually, um, it's kind of rough. They, they they sort of abandon different groups of people on the planet and uh, see how they fare. And I think they're all like criminals, actually. It's kind of mm. like um, the Dirty Dozen on an uh, alien planet.
4: Mm-hmm. Cool. And then they mm-hmm. find
3: they find these powerful artifacts towards the end. But uh, I, I felt like the first book was more of a setup. I mean, of course, it's the first book of a trilogy, I, so I felt like the first book was more of a setup. I mean, I really want the wild uh Stephen Baxter science fiction, like in *The Ring*, which I didn't finish, but that has a lot of wild galaxy-spanning stuff in it. But I think the second book gets more into that. That's my impression. But I haven't, yeah, I haven't I, read it yet.
1: I like the from the description. It says, uh, "We all have countless paths converging in this present, and our future is terrifyingly, terrifyingly finite." Uh, it's like the character. Lots of characters introduced means lots of characters are able to be killed. Uh-huh. You know.
4: There are minds in this universe that are billions of years old, and now we are vulnerable to their plans for us. It's time to fight back and take control. It kind of sounds like the Zeely in some ways. I know this right. is not the Zeely universe, but the Zeely's are billions of years old and uh, make humans look puny And Yeah. Didn't Steven yeah, Baxter write some Zeely, Zeely books? Zeely. Well, yeah, well, Ring yeah. is one of the Zeely books. He's written a, yeah. a, a sheep of short stories about them. So, yeah, that that's his mm-hmm. main universe. although it's yeah, is many, not in
3: that universe. Yeah, there's many z novels, too, and Ring is one of them. I mean, but but These Minds of the Universe was on the cover of the first book, and it never came up. Mm. But uh, hopefully it's more in the second book. You don't really meet any powerful aliens in the first book. But uh, if you like trilogies, I mean, mm-hmm. sounds good.
4: I, I like trilogies, but I have problems with trilogies where the first book is nothing but setup, up, and we don't get... Something nice and clean where you can theoretically stop reading the series if you wanted to. Like, I, I, like, yeah. I just re- finished, I just published a review, a review just published on a single of a series, a science fiction series. The first book, it's fine, but it's just like, okay, now we're going to have the good stuff in the next book, sort of thing. Like, wait a minute, you're just stopping here, you don't have any sort of resolution, and just all build up and, and no, there's no tie-off for the, for the book, and that really, really annoys me, and I can be really critical on authors who don't give me at least a pellet at the end of the first book, <laughs> rather than promise, mean, oh, there'll be pellets <laughs> later on, but not now.
1: <laughs> I mean, there, there are some... <laughs> that sort of rat in the cage in this metaphor. That,
4: that, that, that's, uh, uh, that's the metaphor ret- ret- I was going for, yes. I love it.
3: I mean, there are some like uh, powerful alien artifacts that you see in the first book, but uh, it doesn't really get to the galaxy-spanning, old-school uh, Stephen Baxter that I wanted, but I, I guess it's more like a huge story split up into three books, like Peter F. Hamilton, more than like three mm. pseudo standalone books.
1: Oh, so okay. let's move into epic traditional fantasy fantasy. There are no homosexuals in traditional fantasy. Is that correct? Is that why it's called traditional fantasy? No gender swapping. I, I don't know. I. I what what as a app- as opposed to what kind of other kind of fantasy? Urban um, contemporary, Second- yeah, contemporary okay. fantasy. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's like the elves in the city or whatever, right? Mm.
4: Quest. Uh, horses, you know, Magic. yeah, high fantasy, yeah, high fantasy, secondary world fantasy. regardless
1: of whether it's it's futuristic fantasy or whatever, it it always e- equals sequels and trilogies and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and really, both of these are you know, not first book in a series, so we can just mention them, maybe, and then move on.
1: Yes, please. Um, (laughs) Let's do that.
2: It's uh, Fool's Quest by Robin Hobb. It's in The Fool number two. Um, People love these books. People that love Robin Hobb just super love Robin Hobb. (laughs) And then uh, Queen of Fire, which is Raven's Shadow number three by Anthony Ryan. And... Looks like we have the same reviewer for both of those. He's super into this kind of fantasy.
1: Nice. I'm yeah, not i that I, single Robin Hobb. What, what's Robin Hobb's story? Is Robin
0: a she female? She writes lots of fantasy. Yeah, um, yeah female. Okay. Yeah. Right? And lots, she writes, writes lots, lots of fantasy, fantasy yeah. She's, she's well-loved. She People...
3: series in the same world. And this is a
0: yeah she writes uh books people really like. Uh, she's been mentioned to me several times, but I still haven't read anything by her.
2: hmm Yeah,
1: me either. Anthony Ryan doesn't sound like a name I've heard before. Uh but this is book three, so it can't be
4: uh I've gotten review copies of those. I haven't read them just because there's too many too many books, too little time, but I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. well let's
1: move into contemporary fantasy. <laughs> I'm still urban fantasy. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but see, some fantasy that's set in the present day is not in an urban setting, so you can't that's just right. call it urban right. fantasy.
4: Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and I see a book listed here under urban fantasy that really should have been an epic traditional fantasy, but we'll get to that shortly. <laughs>
3: yeah, and is China medieval urban fantasy?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think China medieval
1: is urban fantasy. Contemporary fantasy for sure.
4: But the NK Jemison, which we'll get to, is definitely Isn't not. Isn't China
1: Mayville, The City in the City? Come on.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. But this but book, this book looks like
0: something that I'd like to listen to. Three Moments of, of an Explosion Stories by China Mayville. Mayville? Do you have to yeah. pronounce all the syllables there? You have to say the accent. <laughs> is it, it Mayville? I think okay. so. I think all so. Right. Cool. From Random House. Uh, again, Brian Alexander's got this one. Eight years in the making, this collection bristles with staggering concepts and unforgettable images. By turns speculative, satirical, heart-wrenching, and spooky, fresh in form and language, these stories reveal an alternate version of our own universe. One in which art not only reflects humanity's violence, but causes it. And nature has turned the tables, making mankind the endangered species.
3: Mm. I'm Uh, assuming it's multiple
2: genres. I bet. Yeah, because every novel he writes is different, so Mm -hmm. it's hard to know. Yeah. So that's working. That might might be a good
3: way to sample him. Like Mm
0: -hmm. it would be. It would be. I need to. I need to read that. On my list.
2: Who's our
1: uh, Jim Butcher reader?
2: Tom. Tom. Well, Tom and Rob both read him, but
1: no. But Tam, weren't you a Jim Butcher guy?
3: I've read the first couple. They're they're fun
1: okay i I saw like one episode of the show. I don't did the show continue I don't know no, it got heck.
3: canceled no. pretty okay. quickly okay but the books are still going,
1: yeah, I think there was a comic too, and I think I read yeah. that as well
0: um yeah. so Jim, Jim Bo' pretty big in my household, although I have not read anything by him
4: <laughs> i I prefer yeah. secondary world stuff the uh my my wife
0: book. and my son both love him.
1: So it's it, it's kind of like American Harry Potter, right? No,
2: no, it's, like a, it's more
0: it's more like Buffy, I thought, with a, a Harry Dresden kind of an adult chasing. No, it's, go ahead.
2: It, it's like a hard boiled detective wizard. Yeah, yeah, that's like American, like
1: uh, that's not British,
2: Harry Potter.
1: Well, look, American,
2: American is like noir,
1: you know, PI sort of thing, right? It's, yeah. Well, the
2: it's, only connection to Buffy here. Is, is James Marsters is the most incredible reader mm. only not with his english accent you know he plays spike and buffy with very convincing british accent but he is not british it's not and so he has this sarcastic dry reading voice that is perfect for the character of harry dresden
0: so what what kinds of things does harry dresden go after
3: Well, there's always
2: magic involved, and then a lot of the novels end up with, like, the Fae, like, you know, the the Fairy Mm -hmm. Queen. I think there's
3: vampires and werewolves and
4: stuff. Yeah, Yeah, like the White Court, yeah.
2: Yeah. I've just read the first few, maybe.
4: Uh, I think it's, Hmm. like,
3: one of the first urban fantasy books.
4: It's one of the, it's it's one of the temple urban fantasy series of the last ten years, sure. I was a
1: teenage
4: Bigfoot.
3: <laughs> your, your wife doesn't get offended i hear like there's some anti-women stuff in
0: it like she's yeah. never mentioned it she's never okay. mentioned it. she she has all the
1: audiobooks huh. loves them good mm-hmm. yeah. nk Jemison is next
2: and oh, paul doesn't want this in this
4: category right i, I don't <laughs> I'm, I, I'm gonna mention it yeah The fifth season, the Broken Earth Book 1 by N.K. Jemison, narrated by Robin Miles. This is the way the world ends. For the last time, a season of endings has begun. It starts with the great red rift across the heart of the world's sole continent, spewing ash that blots out the sun. Does that sound like the Earth? Don't think so. It starts with death, with a murdered son and a missing daughter. It starts with betrayal and long dormant wounds wising up to fester. This is the stillness, a land long familiar with catastrophe. Where the power of the earth is wielded as a weapon, and where there is no mercy. No, it, no, I, it, it it's totally secondary world fantasy. It is not urban fantasy any which way whatsoever. I don't know.
1: Well, it's capitalized Earth there. Maybe it, the Earth or, like an enemy planet.
2: No,
4: uh, well, here's the thing,
2: Paul. You not. Audible. Well, oh, you're very
4: passionate. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: Audible is wrong. Adu- Audible yeah. has this listed as contemporary fantasy. And I think the person no. that put it in there.
1: No, what um, they mean by contemporaries is it, it's not classic. It was published right? today. It's new. I think that's what they mean. Yeah. Wow. Well, because yeah, because it, it does. It sounds not. It sounds more like Game of Thrones than it does.
2: Uh, uh, I I, I think they were topics. thrown off because it's they're, post-apocalyptic fantasy, and and they they think yeah. that that can't be.
4: Oh, labels. They yeah, just, it, it's an apocalypse not on Earth. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I've heard lots of good things about this book. I haven't read it yet; didn't get a review copy, but I, I'm totally up for uh, reading this at some point. Yeah.
0: You know, one other one other um, of these recent fantasies that looks really interesting to me is City of Stairs.
4: Oh, I've read Has that. Any,
0: That's, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think of that one?
4: Uh, my, it went on my Hugo nomination ballot last year. Was that good?
0: Oh, good. Oh, cool. Okay. It
4: didn't get didn't get a nomination, obviously, because of um. Of barking dogs, but yeah.
0: <laughs> it seems like every day goes by I fall far, farther behind, but City of Stairs we, has been on my list.
4: We, we all do, and that's, that's that's one of the best books I read last year, so I strongly recommend it to everybody. All right, cool.
2: And uh, Sword and Laser had that as one of their reads this year, um, so there's <clears> a lot of discussion <throat> online about it anyway.
3: Mm-hmm. Hey, Paul, have you read N.K. Jemisin before
4: I I I I read uh Her Dreamblood novels, yeah. Which which is a duology set in a uh quasi Egyptian Sudan sort of world. Really mm-hmm. really atmospheric, really really intense description. The food, the the novels make me hungry for uh Ethiopian food every time I when I was I, reading them. No, seriously, because they talk about food and and the culture and it's just very atmospheric, very very uh you really sink into her worlds when you read her work. I,
2: yeah, That's I like those right better than her first, better than her first trilogy.
4: The inheritance. I,
2: yeah, I like. It's, it's funny about the oh, moon,
4: right? Yeah. right. <laughs> and, and funny, and fun, yeah, it's just like funny. Funny enough, she wrote these first, and but they got published oh, yeah. second. Huh.
2: Yeah.
0: Great. Interesting. That's great. Uh
2: <laughs> Some of the rest of these we can just mention. Because then they are not the first book of the series. Uh, so there's Deceptions, a Canesville novel, I don't even know which number it is, by Kelly Armstrong. Uh okay. The Tale of the Body Feet, Thought uh, the Tale of the Body Thief, Vampire Chronicles book number four by Anne Rice, but read by Simon Vance. Yeah. Um Thirty Six seems- Hours. Well, <laughs> I saw that in Audible but the list that I had from um, Random House said 18, so it's one or mm. the other, probably 18.
1: Okay.
2: Um, Crown and Key, books number two and three by Clay Griffith and Susan Griffith, The Undying Legion and The Conquering Dark. Man, a lot of their books have been coming out on audio this year. Yeah. And then under Paranormal Romance, um, we have Sea Haven number four by Christine Fian. It's called Earthbound.
1: And, and we're into horror. Mm-hmm. Horror. Oh. Who's who's orange highlighting? Because <laughs> that's oh, that's me highlighting for Scott. <laughs> <they're watching>. yeah. <laughs> I am.
0: I am a, a big Stephen King fan. I, I love him, but uh, I haven't read his last few, um, including this one, uh, Finders Keepers.
1: I think. Um, th- I think this is mystery. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: It's uh, Bill Hodges trilogy. So yeah, was, Bill
0: Hodges trilogy. You don't see that from Stephen King very often. Uh, you know, the word trilogy. No. Um, it says it's a master masterful, intensely suspenseful novel about a reader whose obsession with a reclusive writer goes too far, too far. <laughs> Sounds familiar, huh? Uh, yeah, Misery. Yeah. He's read He's read a lot of books about with writers as characters. Mm-hmm. A book about the power of storytelling starring the same trio of unlikely and winning heroes King introduced in Mr. Mercedes, which is another book I haven't read. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. He wrote a pair of books one time, uh, Desperation and the Regulators,
1: mm-hmm. in
0: which he took the cast of one book and used all the same characters in the next one, although they were unrelated otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They they weren't playing. It was like a cast of actors, you know, so he used the name. The meta. And, meta, meta yeah, writer. Yeah. I think he
3: might be doing a similar thing here because some it of looks those like characters it, yeah. are dead
0: from the first right. book. Fascinating. Mm. So I think he's, you know, having fun. Yeah. And then this next one next, this next yeah. one, which is also by Stephen King, is available on audio only. Um, it, it came out right before the 4th of July called Drunken Fireworks. And I think later it'll be in print in a collection that he's putting out but right now this okay. is the only way to get it and it's an hour and 20 minutes and I actually have it but haven't heard it yet. Um, uh, Alden McCausland and his mother are what they call accident rich. Thanks to an unexpected life insurance policy payout and a winning big main million scratcher, Alden and his ma are able to spend their summers down by Lake Abenaki, idly drinking their days away in a three-room cabin with an old dock and a lick of beach. Now, one one of the things that's interesting about this is Stephen King, I, I saw an interview of him about audio before this came out because he was releasing it on audio only. And he was talking about, how when he was writing it, he he wanted it to be read in a, in a good main accent and this oh. Tim sample could do it. And he was like, Oh, I'm going to release this on audio. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun.
1: I, I love that he, his, his riches you know his his huge audience allows him to dictate to the publishers mm-hmm. no this is what we're going to do right? <laughs> this is how it's going to go and I, and um, I like that because he was oh, he was great. a pioneer
0: in audio yeah, he was totally. he was always insisting on excellent narration and um his audiobooks, you know it, it was it's been a long time since I've read a Stephen King novel in print. His audiobooks are always so good I
1: prefer them mm-hmm. Oh. Jenny, the the next one. Hey, you want me to
3: Blum- play a sample? Oh, badly over my microphone.
1: <laughs> sure, <laughs> give it a shot. on That thing looked like one of little a clown ride in the circus. Butt cheeks hung right down. Can
3: you hear that? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: not, yeah not I sure. heard that. Yeah, little accent there. Um, so this next one, Jenny, the Blumhouse Book of Nightmares. Did I hear about this on your show? No. I swear it was I was hearing about this book. Um I thought it was your podcast it's some book podcast I guess. Um The Haunted City. Uh this is a anthology I heard about um that includes a whole bunch of writers from uh a, movie producers uh like he just asked all his m- movie people to write uh, a themed anthology story. And he wanted it to be about something to do with cities. So uh, anyone else heard anything about this? Because uh, if not, I'll, I'll just ex- no. keep going. <laughs> no. no, I have okay, not. So, so if you look through the list, there's not a lot of people you'll recognize. But Eli Roth and Ethan Hawke. Right. Those are movie, movie actors, I think, or, uh, Ethan Hawke is anyways. And Eli Roth is either a writer or an actor. Um, so these are all like, um, short stories that are not designed to be, you know, retold as, you know, uh, they're not, you know, scripts for movies or anything. It's just that there's a lot of frustrated writers and artists in, in, uh, in Oh, it must have been on uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. That's right. That's where it was. Um, so the producers of uh, Paranormal Activity, The Purge, Insidious, Sinister, um, sort of just said, well, let's do a, a book about, you know, horror, sort of, themed with cities and release it as a book. And that's just not normally how these things happen, right? Uh, only other things that are like that, uh, there, I think there was a Joel and Ethan Cohen collection of short stories by Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, that was produced as a, a book. And it was like really strange that people who are otherwise, you know, only known really for their movies, uh, do a book that's not designed to be a movie later, you know, is not a pitch for a movie. None of these are designed to be, you know, uh, this is my screenplay. I couldn't get published or it was for a TV show that, you know, it's just a collection of stories by frustrated. <laughs> um Or maybe I'm reading into that, but
2: yeah, it's, I don't, it's I don't think it says anywhere that they're frustrated. <laughs>
1: no, yeah, I guess it's not that they're frustrated. It's that these are stories that couldn't be adapted for film. So it wasn't Uh. like, give us your old stuff that you couldn't get done. It's just, let's just do something totally unrelated. And I thought that that was really interesting because the, the producer uh, who was talking about, I guess it must've been Jason Blum is the uh, editor um, must have um, been saying that, you know, it was sort of unrelated. It's just, I know a lot of really smart people in this business and I asked my friends uh, if they had a story and they, uh, these are the people who submitted them. And I thought that was really interesting. It is interesting. And it, it, I, I really like the, I, I maybe there's a review of it I did years ago, but that Joel and Ethan Cohen book mm-hmm. uh, that got released as an audio book. It was really weird and different because these are people who are not normally um, writing uh, short fiction for things that aren't the screen. right? It's They're not in the normal literary tradition. So you call it outsider art if it's artists, right? Outsider writers because they're outside of their normal genre. Um, I, I'd be really interested to see what Ethan Hawke r- would write about. I know he's a novelist <laughs> as well. Is he? But I didn't I, know that. I think so, yeah. Um, and I just think that's really interesting, but I've not heard of most of these authors and and yet this is a it's you know not coming from the mainstream book publishing industry and yet if you're a you know i I think the purge was really good. Have you guys seen that movie? yes
4: because you because you told me on a previous podcast I should say uh-huh. it huh what did you think of it um kind of flawed but really interesting idea yeah is, is, is the idea is the is the is the there, thing. There's, there's the warping of society around this whole one night a year. Well, I thought of it, it's like, it's more like contemporary
1: criticism. Sort of, oh, uh, uh, Star Trek version of reality, uh, you
4: know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's criticizing our current society by taking, yeah. taking it to, uh, reducto absurdium, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really well done.
4: It almost
3: sounds like when they translate Russian or something into English, then it's like a totally different genre.
1: hmm Yeah, it, because they're not exposed in the same way. You know, um, if you if you read nothing but science fiction all the time, you that sort of that's your vocabulary, and yeah. if you're in a different vocabulary, then you use different ideas.
3: Yeah, I kind of get burned out when people just kind of use each other's totally ideas over and over again without bringing in like something from real life. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Scott Sigler's got a new book out. anybody read a Scott Sigler book?
0: Mm-mm.
1: I have not. Yeah, I read
3: uh, Infected. Okay. It was nice and gruesome. I,
1: I read Earthcore. That was his first one. Um,
3: Actually, he, yeah, he, uh, he did his own. He used to do his own audiobooks and podcast them.
1: Yeah, yeah. This one's. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he podcast this one as well, but it's a new trilogy and it's got a female narrator. So. Presumably he didn't do his own narration on the audiobook, uh, that he released through his podcast. But, um, it's coming from a publisher called Empty Set Entertainment, which is a funny name. <laughs> M- math sort of thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm, he's not, he's not my, uh, cup of tea. He's a good writer, but, um, uh, more about action than I am. More ideas. He's more action.
3: Gruesome action.
1: Gruesome action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes mm-hmm. torturing his characters. I
4: A teenage girl waiting to find himself trapped in the coffin. So yeah, I think it's right there, right there in the first line.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So we're into related nonfiction. Is this your ad, Jenny?
2: Yeah, I just try to keep, you know, just a finger on oh, I, some of the things I, that seem related.
1: I agree with this first one. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
1: Humans are underrated. What high achievers know that brilliant machines never will. By Jeffrey Colvin. (laughs) Hey.
2: Uh Uh-oh.
1: Jeff Colvin. No relation
2: Mm. that I know. Oh, (laughs) Oh,
1: I
4: I thought there there was a case of nepotism here, Jenny. No. No, I
2: literally got this on a review copy list, I promise.
1: It's eight hours. Go to Ancestry.com right now. It's (laughs) from the um, uh, author of a book called talent is overrated, so I guess he's, he's, he's on a theme here. Humans are underrated, talent is overrated. Um. So w- what was it that grabbed you about this one?
2: Well, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the novels in science fiction are about robots and post-humans and this is kind of the antithesis of that. Right.
0: So right. I
2: thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: I think that's right. Um... Yeah, this looks like an interesting book to me. And the economy of a few years from now, what will people do better than computers? Technology is rapidly invading fields that once once could not touch. That's neat.
1: Your yeah, job, your parking, <laughs> <Yeah>. parking cars. Parking
0: cars. <laughs> Help
1: the robot overlords take over all our jobs. Exactly.
0: Right? That's what I'm working on. <laughs>
1: um, do you think that there's going to it's not gonna be in your lifetime, do you think that some some computer's gonna take over your job? No, right. no, I don't. You don't think that's possible? Jenny, what I, about I you? I think,
0: computer I think, yeah, system? having, having, uh, automatic software written is probably
1: possible. Yeah, but you do like hard, you, you get in there with the wire clippers and stuff too, right? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Jenny, could you, your job be replaced by a oh. computer at no. some point? In your I life think thing? people
2: could probably find a way to answer questions, but that's not all I do,
1: so. Right. What about you, Paul?
4: Um, I no. The, 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 problem, the problem is there's so many edge cases in what I do. Disclaimer for everybody: I administer a warranty. That if you just had a computer program, just trying to administer it down the line, you'd get a lot of unhappy people, and you eventually have right. to have somebody to check over that computer anyway to uh to work out the edge cases. So yeah. Uh,
1: Tam, you're you're in IT, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I have so many unusual problems that come up i don't
1: think uh yeah i mean I you're really you're the guy it. who is the oil that keeps those robots taking over our lives right exactly there's, well, always, well, there's always well, a bug in everything you do
4: yeah. when the robots take over tim is the tam is their uh their pet as it were yeah have, have any have any uh, you seen I'm the, the tape like, monkey di- di- digression have any of you ever seen uh the movie ex machina yes yes Yep, yep. New. Because I was, oh, wow. I thought it was, thought I was it yes, terrific. was
0: terrific. Jesse, yeah. it's definitely one you should see.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it when it idea comes heavy. out. Idea yep. heavy, yep, idea
4: it, heavy. It, it, it is on DVD now. Okay, yeah. cool. So. I'll check it out. So, so yeah, if, if anybody interested in AI and the future of artificial intelligence, whatnot, I recommend it to everybody. Very creepy. Very, <laughs> old. I know. Oh, yes, definitely.
1: I know Scott put the next one on because he, he typed it the way he pronounces it. <laughs>
0: I put it in the audio drummer section.
1: <laughs> drummer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Is that an Idahoan uh, <laughs> accent? I don't know. you got to put an R on the end of those things that end in vowels. <laughs> it's just how you do it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. It in
3: Theater, Jersey that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the L.A. Theatre Works sent us, uh, And the Sun Stood Still which is a play written by Davis Sobel, who is a popular science writer. Um, one of her most famous books is called Longitude. She wrote one called Galileo's Daughter. I don't know I if that anyone's familiar with that.
4: Yeah, I wrote that
0: one. Right, so she wrote this play called And the Sun Stood Still, which premiered in Denver, Colorado, I believe, and uh, it's fairly recent. So I, I think it had a good run in Colorado, and now she's hoping that it will go elsewhere. Um, but the description is, Davis Sobel's thoughtful play brings to life the story of Nicholas Copernicus, the Renaissance astronomer and mathematician who proposed the heliocentric model of the universe in which the sun stands at the center. Plagued by self-doubt and threatened by religious censure, Copernicus resisted the publication of his work until just before his death in 1543. So you, uh, it's, a little, yeah, it's a little over an hour long. It's very good. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not like a I, one of those. Oh, no, LA Theaterworks was still in business, but yeah. I, and I as a matter of
0: fact, speech, what's, right? what's really cool is they have um, a whole series called the Relativity Science themed series, and I'm just calling it up here. And in in that collection, they've got. Um, this and the Sunset Still by Davis Obel. They have one called Intelligent Slave by Kenneth Lynn. The Explorer's Club by Neil Nell Benjamin. The other place uh Henrik Heinrich Ibsen one called An Enemy of the People. Mm. Um Tooth and Claw. There's three pages of science themed audio drama. Uh Neat. The Life of Galileo, Lucy, uh Copenhagen.
1: Yeah, and, and this is all really cool.
2: Copenhagen is great. I've seen
1: that one. Is it? Yeah, I, I awesome. think I've seen that as well. Um, that's yeah, that's the uh, one with um, not the guy in the box. Uh, it's not Schrodinger. Who's the other guy? Oh, geez,
2: I'm looking it up. Is
1: because... it, it, he's got a law named yeah.
4: after Heisenberg.
1: It up here. Yeah,
2: Heisenberg. Heis- yeah. It's a Heisenberg uncertainty yeah, principle.
0: principle. Yeah, the, the the description of Copenhagen is how different would the world have looked had the Nazis been the first to build an atomic bomb. Werner Heisenba- Heisenberg, one of Hitler's lead nuclear scientists, famously and mysteriously met in Copenhagen with his colleague and mentor, Niels Bohr, Bohr. one of the founders of the Manhattan Project. Right. Michael Franz Tony Award-winning drama imagines their reunion.
1: That's so that's cool. cool. I have to hear that. Yes, version of that. I think it was a PBS TV movie or something.
2: Yeah, and on our campus, yeah. that was one that three faculty members did from the theater department
1: very, very good. Plays are good as audio dramas. They don't need, you know, a lot of explosions, and it's mostly dialogue,
0: right? Yeah, this isn't like a Dirk Maggs full of sound effects type of a thing. It's really uh, conversations,
2: Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's
1: very, very interesting. Yeah, sounds good.
2: Kind of poking around. They have lots of great stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. They do. They do. They've been around forever, too. They're, you know, this
2: kind of answers the question I have because, um, on my, the Reading Envy podcast, there's an episode coming up where I talk to Monica Byrne. She's an author, but she also writes plays. And so I was asking her, you know, I want to be able to keep up with plays, but I don't live near New York. Probably Mm -hmm. not going to go there a lot. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you get access to them? But if they put them out in audio, that would, that's nice. I wonder how many other companies do things like this.
1: I don't know. Not that many. Uh, there, there are a lot of audio drama troops that sort of, they do a stage play in their town, but they, they tend to be audio drama only. The LA Theater Works is interesting because they, they are really geared for audio, uh, you know, because they've got a lot of famous actors, but they, but they, I think they do it the same way. It's just that they they do real, you know, uh, they do famous plays as well as their, uh, as well as you know, just recreating you know OTR old yeah. time rate something like that.
2: Um, that's different mm, somehow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it really sense. seems
1: insane to me that we have uh, this medium called television that's really good for live. Uh, you know, transmission, and nobody has like a, a play channel, like, like, you know, you just have a channel that's called, you know, Broadway. And then, the play's the you thing. tune in to see the play that day, because that'd be the only, uh, it's so stupid that regular television has all these pre-recorded materials when, you know, that, uh, it's best done by Netflix and, that sort of thing, right? Or it's only really good for for sports and I, I guess local news, local breaking news, or but that doesn't fill the day, and it doesn't fill all those channels. It really should be a a you know a play channel where they have the theater playing, and then you say, hmm, I I don't know, I I want to watch this other play channel because they're they're showing the show, you know.
0: That that would be it. really cool. I remember uh, when I was young. You know, in HBO's early days, they had uh, Barefoot in the Park. I remember watching that, and it was a play. Uh, one of the leads was um, the guy who played John Boy in The Waltons, mm-hmm. and I can't remember who played opposite him, but I remember watching it and just loving it, and it was the play, you know, the whole
1: play. Yeah, it's very rare to have a lease of that. Like, I think there's a couple of – who's the guy who plays Wolverine? Uh, Hugh Jackman. uh, Hugh Jackman. I think uh, there's a couple of plays by him you can see, like uh, him singing, you know, and dancing on the stage. Uh, You might find them on YouTube or something. But there is no like uh, channel that says, "Okay, that's what we specialize in," and and that totally should be because people would watch that. It's it's, especially if it's live.
2: Yeah, the Mm. Metropolitan Opera has kind of figured out a solution where they. Instead of it's not on TV, but they do it with the movie theaters. Oh yeah, the mm-hmm. Fathom events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I've been to a few of those, and you really feel like you're there. Mm-hmm. But I've well, never been cool. to live opera in New York, but I've been to the local theater watching a live opera in New York.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> there, no matter how many people you know, you lose to the audience in actual New York Broadway, right? Um, you're going to gain way more in the uh, people who could never get there, right? I can't go to the... If I lived in New York, I'd be at the theater every week, right? I'd be going to yeah, the new you show. Yeah, if I
4: could afford it. Yeah, yeah if I could
1: afford it. I can't. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I don't live in New York is it's very expensive. Um, But, yeah. To, but the thing is, is if you can make 10,000 people watch it instead of, uh, you know, 2,000 or whatever it is, yeah. you get a, a hell of a huge audience. People... Like it.
4: Un- untapped market.
1: Totally. Maybe they think they'll
0: lose
4: money. They do it. It, hey. it, 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 would t- it would take money for infrastructure like for the filming and whatnot, but in the long yeah. term I would think they would make buck would make bang, bang on it because of the millions of people outside of New York who could actually watch Broadway. Hell. Yeah. And and then and then you could like say, encourage those people to come to New York to see it live. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start it.
0: <laughs> Done. <laughs> oh.
4: Yeah, you gotta get the, gotta do the camera. You All do, right. yeah. The yes. I'll run the soundboard. That's what I. <laughs> All
1: right. Sounds good. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to just mention a couple of podcasts that I, I found recently. Um, you guys listening to any new podcasts that you you think
4: are must listens? Nothing that's a must listen yet. I, I, I keep dro- adding and dropping podcasts, mm. but I haven't mm, some, I haven't gone deep into to a new one recently.
1: There, there seems to be, uh, a lot of new podcasts out there. Um, the one that Brian talked about was called the Black Tapes podcast. Um, I tried it, but it's a bit too, um, it's going for that NPR, uh, well, no, not NPR. Was the serial was that? No, wasn't that was the NPR. Yeah, yeah, it was okay it's sort of the npr style of audio drama which to me is not the kind of audio drama i'm really into um it's too it's too it's like i don't know fake fake uh investigative pop journalism sort of show
4: the, the this american life approach
1: yeah that sort of thing it's not really my cup of tea. I'm more traditional drama but uh so I tried that one and then uh just this morning I discovered that uh, Scott's gonna like this. The Great Courses has a podcast hmm. uh called The Torch, which is their symbol, right? Yeah. Um
0: and uh cool. it, it, they
1: yeah, the host seems good and he's been interviewing uh uh professors who do courses. So um each episode's about half hour long and uh they because it's about the Great Courses, you know, there's a lot of variety. Uh, so there's math and there's physics and arts and language and brain science and all sorts of good stuff. And there's quite a few episodes out. So oh, cool. this looks like a I'm good, very I'm going to have to check
4: this out.
1: And it's got to be a brilliant marketing thing because my main problem with The Great Courses is I don't know whether I would want to do that, you know, do that particular course. Uh, only reason I knew uh, about The Great Courses is because Scott sent sent me the tapes for uh, Eric Rabkin's course uh, that was done years and years ago. And that totally turned me on The Great Courses. But the main problem is, you know, they're very expensive. Um, if you get them through Audible, sometimes they're cheaper. They used to not be on Audible. But because they're so good, they they're almost the kind where you would want to own them. In uh, a physical copy, so you could lend it to somebody else. So I think this makes a lot of sense for them to do a, a podcast.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I've actually got in my hand here from the local library, the American Revolution. I just recently went to Washington D.C., so I was interested. Right. And this is a DVD set.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also noticed Netflix has a couple of great courses. Uh, both I think are from um, Neil deGrasse Tyson on you know, the universe and that sort of thing. Well, that's cool. But yeah, it's mostly, uh, you don't really need the video generally because it's, it's a professor standing in a lectern, right?
0: Yeah, usually. Uh, yeah, there, there are some that, you know, DVD really enhances it, oh, but most of them, audio yeah. is fine.
1: Yeah. Um So that, that's a podcast I think I'm going to get deep into. And then there's a new one that I noticed called Genre Stop. They started following me on Twitter. And I thought, oh, that sounds sorta of genre related. And I looked at their feed and they they're doing very sort of contemporary audiobook read along style shows. Um not audiobook read along, just book read along style shows and science fiction genre or fantasy genre. Um and they did uh, a couple of books I'd I've read, so I they did uh, Ancillary Justice nice. and um The Martian. And they liked ancillary justice, uh, pretty well, I think. But, uh, there was a almost universal panning of uh, the Martian and I was like, what? <laughs> that no sense. Um, uh, it, it, but I think they touched on something that we talked, talked about on the, our Martian show too, which is it doesn't really feel like normal science fiction. Um, not, not to me, like in a bad way, but is more engineering fiction, applied science. Right. Applying rules. And I thought that that was right. But yeah, um, it, they, they didn't like the pacing and a number of issues, but I think it was, I think it was a terrific book, but uh, I'm going to follow their feed because, um, I like read along style podcasts. There's not that many of them. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's SFF audio. There's, uh, good reads, uh, not good reads stuff. <laughs> a good story is hard to find. You guys do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think the writer They're, and critic
1: the critic does it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I guess the different. We're
3: uh, in, incomparable. I like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It, I guess the difference between... Well, I'm not even sure, you know, we... I don't know if we came up with that term read-along or not. I know that it's based on the old books. When you were a kid, you get a cassette tape and a paper book, and you press play, and <laughs> the next page, you turn it,
4: and it says... When you hear a chime, turn the page. <laughs> I remember, I remember those, but I think you, I think SSF audio, given its longevity, has, yeah. has cha- has changed the definition. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm thinking, but it's like you, we give you the chance to read along with our adventures, right? Is So basically what it means is we're not going to say, oh, I won't spoil it for you. What we're going to do is we're going to, uh, spoil the crap out of it. talk about the book because we're going to assume everybody's read it. And I think that that's, um, a good way to do it. It's like being at a book club. I guess a book club-style podcast as well right, is another way of putting it. But yeah, I thought that it's interesting. They've started, just started. And their microphone wasn't that good at first. They were picking up a lot of fan noise and such. <laughs> but um, it's got better, and I think they've fixed the fan noise problem. So um, check that out, I would say. Cool. I, think I have a few new on ones.
2: Sometimes.
1: What, what do you got, Jenny?
2: Well, I, when I started out having a reading podcast, I didn't want to listen to others just because, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to do my own thing without all that noise in my head. But um, I've started hearing from people who listen to mine that they listen to these others. So there's like this mm-hmm. group of people that, you know, listen. So I started listening to Books on the Nightstand, The Readers, The Guardian Book Podcast. <laughs> Uh, those might be the big three. I'm listening to the Booker Prize podcast, but I think it's just kind of temporary every year around the time that the awards are, you know, being nominated mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so I like Books on the Nightstand. Um, it's two people that work for Random House though, so I think they're a little heavily focused on the books that they know the most about, and they read mm-hmm. a lot of, um, upcoming and, and current, currently published stuff, so not a lot of stuff before this year um but every once in a while they'll talk about other stuff the readers as far as i can tell is these two guys that are friends and they talk about books it's a little looser i'm not Hmm. sure what their like professional ties are to the industry but like this summer they got together and went on a road trip to a marvelous thing that i just learned about this year called re no booktopia booktopia which apparently mm. used to happen an hour from me, and I didn't know about it. So I'm really bummed because it doesn't happen there anymore.
4: <laughs> where does it happen now? Um, Pexta, pu- puksta- Pexta, puksta- Cuddy,
0: <laughs> Punks, <laughs> whatever that. Pexta, yeah. <laughs> where the groundhog lives.
1: <laughs> no.
2: Or somewhere somewhere that that sounds like that. It's somewhere in east, east. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, but you know I've been what, enjoying you know what, it. I've been keeping sorry. up. It's alright. Cool. No, no,
0: I interrupted you. Um, I was just going to say, you know what convention that I really want to go to is ReaderCon.
2: Wouldn't that be fun?
0: That would be fantastic. I think it's in Massachusetts every year.
4: It, it, it is in Massachusetts every year. I, I'll, I'll put a plug for Fourth Street Fantasy here, which is kind of like a tiny ReaderCon in Minneapolis every, a couple weeks before Convergence every year. It's, it's a very, very same sort of focus on Books and genre, and deep discussions about both of those. Nice.
3: Yeah, I heard, I heard someone talking about Ritecon. They said it, it's very book centric. There's not a lot of like video game and movie right. stuff mm-hmm. there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's mostly panels, right? Not. I mean, I know all cons have panels, but this one is like focused yeah. on panels.
4: Yeah, It's panels and not no cosplay, no <laughs> no, no, no media, mo, no media stuff. For series like that as well, it's not a convergence where you have anime and films. Yeah, and all yeah I, I liked.
0: Stuff. I went to a local convention um, a couple years ago. That um, one thing that was different the year that I went is they did a lot of reader-centric panels, which I thought was fantastic because a lot of the cons that you go to they're all writer panels, meaning mm-hmm. how do you write? How do you do a character? How do you do this? But but not everybody that goes there is trying to write novels. It's like, so they would do a thing like uh, Roger Zelazny panel or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jack Vance panel, which is an actual one that I remember going to. And you just have some people up there that are often writers who uh, are fans of this person's work and they talk about, you know, the work for an hour. And I love that. And that's what ReaderCon has, all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Those as those as well
0: as some, as there. well as some writer panels as well, but they also have a lot of reader centric stuff.
3: Hey Scott, you should listen to Jenny's podcast with uh, Mrs. Vandemere.
0: Mm. I did. I she thought it was terrific. About,
3: yeah, she talks mm. about how like she's more of a reader than a writer, so she'll like books yeah. that are good stories, not that are
1: like well written. Hmm. Yeah, it was a really good interview. It was. I thought it was, was an terrific. interesting
2: distinction.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Jenny I wanted to ask you about the Guardian podcast. Um, my problem with it is, is most of the time I don't want to listen to this particular one but how like every once in a while like every 3 or 4 months I find I've you know I have stuff uh, I don't subscribe to the show but how often do you find that it it is genre related? Uh, as opposed to just not.
2: Oh, well, when that King, Kim Stanley Robinson episode came up, I was like, whoa. So, you know, I've only listened to it for a few weeks, but I wasn't even expecting it to be genre-related at all.
1: Yeah, they do. You know, Cory Doctorow's been on it. and oh, okay. They, they seem to be sort of, because they're UK-based. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not always. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not one I've
2: subscribed to, but... They also uh, so, have a super exuberant host who's a little bit much for me.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's like the BBC radio guy.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I also I wanted to make a plug for this book I got that I thought was really cool. I mean, if, if I find something free on the Internet and I, I really like it, I don't generally go out and buy the book. I just, you know, oh, that was cool and then move on. But uh I got this book. Uh it's called The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath and Other Stories. It's a comic book adaptation of Lovecraft's dream dreamland stories. Um and I, I did a show recently on uh The White Ship by HP Lovecraft, which is a nineteen nineteen or nineteen twenty short story, very short. Um really good story, and I found the audio, uh, not the audio, the uh, comic book adaptation online, he just posted it up there. His website is Mockman, which is apparently a name he's been using uh, since he was a kid, because he posted some kids' drawings uh, from his Dungeons and Dragons module or something, and and it was like signed Mockman as well. His name's Jason Thompson, but um, if, if you look at the picture of the cover there, uh, that gives you a very good idea what the art looks like inside and it's it, it's not as detailed as Sergio Aragonés but it's pretty close to being as detailed as Sergio Aragonés if you guys know who that is he's the Gru? he's the yeah he does grew and uh, he also does he's famous for the doing the marginalia in Mad Magazine okay um, he's incredibly, you know, fast drawer, and so he can do an uh, amazing ton of detail. I don't know how fast Jason Thompson is, but he's, he, he does a lot of depth of detail. Um, his style's quite different, but, uh, he also is really good at not just art, but in composing a page, and, uh, I would say, you know, if you've, I think, Tam and maybe Jenny, you read that, uh, Batwoman um by J.H. Williams the 3rd artist artist yeah um he's really great at composing pages as well um you know structuring panels and um it's it's pretty impressive the only uh, thing that's a caveat is just like the uh the website art the inside art is black and white oh but uh yeah it's sort of a thing like uh, I, when I found out that, um, uh, the, who's the, uh, Scott Pilgrim guy? Yeah, I can't remember his name. The guy who does Scott Pilgrim, uh, when he, he subsequently released those in color, I was like, no! <laughs> I, I would have got the color, they, right? They look nice. <laughs> they, they're really good. Um, but I don't want to buy the whole set again. Yeah. Um, Especially so, if, if this came out in color, I might, feel compelled to buy it again cuz it's real it looks really good in in uh but also you know how can you go wrong when it's a really good adaptation really detailed drawings of lovecraft stories you got to love that right um, and i noticed also somebody tweeted him uh that in the final episode of the daily show with john stewart um, they showed some clip of the uh writers room and in that writers room they have the map that, uh, is inside this book and that, uh, came with the book. So somebody there is a big fan of, uh, this art as well because it's a great map. It's a map of the Dreamlands.
4: Oh, is, is that map come with the book? Uh,
1: when I bought it, it did. I don't think you can buy it separately. It's, it was very expensive to have it shipped up here.
0: Um, I, I see on the site of- here that you can get a Dreamland poster 24 by 36.
4: Mm-hmm. Is an item in his catalog. Uh oh, mm-hmm. now, now you're playing my song here.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, a,
4: it's a map, man.
1: It's a map. It's a map out. of the Dreamlands. So as you read the stories, uh, you see the places like Kathuria and Narg and, uh, all those, you know, wh- how they've been laid out. And, uh, it's like all those illuminated maps from the Middle Ages. They have, uh, you know, here or there be dragons, sort of on the edges, and I'm a big map guy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to hang it above my bed, the map of the dreamlands. You might go insane.
4: Or, or, or <laughs> yeah, is, I'm already or there. Go, or go there.
1: you you? You
0: know, you ought to publish a small book of all of your dream-related tweets.
4: Oh, ah. oh uh, I, I very small book. I, the the uh, Dreamland of Jesse. I found the map on Machman Press. Wow! Ooh, I may, really I, I, I may need to own this, ladies and gentlemen.
0: This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.